So I'll pick up with verse 16, even though we read that last week. If your Bibles are open, Ezekiel chapter 7. And it says, Those who survive will escape and be on the mountains like doves of the valley, all of them mourning, each for his iniquity. Every hand will be feeble, every knee will be as weak as water, they will also be girded with sackcloth, horror will cover them, shame will be on every face, baldness on all their heads. Look at verse 19. They will throw their silver into the streets. doesn't say they don't have any. It says they'll throw it into the streets. And their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They will not satisfy their souls, nor fill their stomachs, because it became their stumbling block of iniquity. As for the beauty of his ornaments, he set it in majesty, but they made it the images of their abominations, their detestable things. Therefore, I have made it like refuse to them. I will give it as plunder into the hands of strangers, into the wicked of the earth as spoil, and they shall defile it. I will turn my face from them, and they will defile my secret place, for robbers shall enter it and defile it. Make a chain. For the land is filled with crimes of blood, and the city is full of violence. Therefore I will bring the worst of the Gentiles, and they will possess their houses. I will cause the pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. Destruction comes. They will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and rumor upon rumor, and they will seek a vision from a prophet. But the law will perish from the priests and the council from the elders. The king will mourn, the prince will be clothed with desolation, and the hands of the common people will tremble. I will do to them according to their ways, and according to what they deserve, I will judge them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Father, we ask again for you to speak in our midst. We know that these are your words. They're ancient words, but Lord, they still speak to us today, for we know that uh, sudden destruction is coming again, and not just to Jerusalem, but the whole world. And we know, Lord, that silver and gold will not deliver in that day either. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would be those that are ready. For you said, surely I'm coming quickly, that you could come even tonight as we're in this study. Lord, I pray that we would draw nearer to you. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, even now. We pray that you'd cleanse us and just uh, anything from the care of the day, Lord, they'd melt away, that we would hear your word, which is far more important than anything outside in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in God's word, According to Their Ways. And you might have saw that, verse 27, according to their ways. And we'll look at three things tonight, uh, distraught, defiled, and devastated. Distraught, defiled, and devastated. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't really want any of those three uh, to be um, the way I'd feel or the way that uh, my life would be summed up. But this is where Judah and uh, what remains of Israel will find itself. It hasn't fully happened yet if you've been with us Again, Ezekiel saying that this is coming. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five years away. And since it hasn't happened yet, there's many people that foolishly don't think it ever will happen. And if, again, if you're in previous studies, the contemporaries of Ezekiel, 
Daniel, his same age, lives also as a captive in Babylon. More than likely a different part of Babylon that, uh, than uh, Ezekiel lived in. But nevertheless, they were uh, of the same age, both carried away, one in the first captivity, one in the second. Uh, and then, uh, not captivity, but the first siege of Jerusalem, and then the second siege of Jerusalem. The third siege has yet to come. The third siege will be the utter destruction of Jerusalem. That hasn't taken place. It's still four to five years away. And another contemporary of theirs, although he's a bit older, is Jeremiah, and he's still back in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is the local voice. Ezekiel is the carried away to captivity voice. And then Daniel is the voice right to the king. So you've got God has... Isn't that cool how God stations his men where he wants them? Um, and uh, none of them, although Daniel, Daniel is the one that uh, we're not going through Daniel, but Daniel experienced, uh, he actually went up the ranks uh, and uh, he really did find uh, quite a place for uh, his profession, vocation, his voice. But Ezekiel and Jeremiah, uh, not so much. <laughs> Jeremiah uh, has a really rough go of it back in uh, Jerusalem where no one believes uh, what he has to say. And Ezekiel is really kind of confronting the same sentiment among the exiles of Jerusalem that are there with him, that uh, they think, remember, they think they're headed home pretty soon, that everything's going to return to normal, uh, that they're all going to go back and, and enter the golden years of retirement and everything's going to be great and uh, the glory years will come back and everything Solomon and David have, all that stuff's going to somehow come back. But that's not what the Lord has to say, is it? God says, no, no, no. Uh, Israel will have to go to the lowest point before I raise her back up. And so we look at the first verses here, starting with verse, uh, we, we picked it up with verse 16. It tells us that um, it's for their iniquity, and then it goes into verse 17, every hand will be feeble, every knee will be as weak as water. Well, first of all, the people, if you're taking notes under distraught, uh, we'll look at three things here, despaired, even under Got three under these. This uh, three under the first, uh, despaired, and then we'll look at uh, another one. They are weak because the people will be starving to death inside the city when when Babylon, the Babylonian forces come and begin to penetrate the city. When they finally the siege mounds will go up and the, the battering rams and everything. When they finally breach the city. Uh, you know, at that time, people will have been literally cannibalizing their own children. Uh, people are hungry. People are starving. Of course, those that have position and power will, in some cases, they have their own armed guards that they would take care of. They might do a little better, but only to a point. And so people, on top of their being physically hungry, thirsty, they also... In verse 18, it says they'll be girded with sackcloth. Horror will cover them. They'll be petrified. So you know when you get scared, you feel a little weak anyway, right? You feel like weakness run through your bone. You might get a burst of adrenaline, but then after that you feel drained. Uh, the blood starts pumping. and So they, they, they're going to be malnourished and petrified all at the same time. Not really a good fighting force when the Babylonians breach the city. And, of course, they would know what their end would be. Many of them will be, they'll be killed on the spot. Many of them, 
and those that aren't, well, they're going to have uh, um, the option to go to Babylon, but it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be a fun trip. So everyone's going to be weak and drained and horrified and in great despair. This is what the Lord says that they'll be as weak as water, their knees hardly able to hold up the body based on fear and being malnourished. They also says that shame will be on every face, baldness on their heads. If you're taking notes, they'll, under distraught, they'll also be disgraced. You know, as we've mentioned in the past, Jerusalem was one of the world's most beautiful cities in antiquity, uh, an amazing city. I mean, it's beautiful today, but remember, Jerusalem's been rebuilt numerous times, but at one time, think about it, at one time Jerusalem was built by David and Solomon. Solomon is one of the wealthiest men to ever live. Some, uh, I, I've seen some estimates, uh, his wealth is astronomical. I don't remember the facts and figures on Solomon specifically, but I mean Solomon had reached incredible wealth. And Jerusalem was gorgeous in its day. And it had not been destroyed even after Solomon so the people, even though, remember the ten tribes in the north, they had all been carried away by the Assyrians, but still Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, remained an intact, albeit a vassal state uh, for several years at that point, uh, paying tribute to Babylon, to the Babylonian Empire. But the city was still a gorgeous city. It still was a beautiful city. And there was a lot of pride in being uh, one that lived in Jerusalem, that great, gorgeous city, uh, one of the wonders of the ancient world. But this is what would take place. Shame would be on every face. Not just horror, uh, but to see the shame and to know that this once proud city and the people in it would be shaved. Many carried away completely naked in shackles as common slaves... They had not been slaves, remember, they were, they were prominent. But they wouldn't be prominent when the Babylonians came and would breach the city. They would have shame on their face. You remember Samson. You know, Samson was one that God had given him incredible strength. I mean, he a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and he had the great hair that uh, was part of his Nazarite vow. But because he rebelled against the Lord, and because he went and committed fornication and adultery and actually intermixed with people that God had told him he could not, and he basically just ignored the voice of God, he ended up being shaved too, didn't he? His eyes gouged out, completely made blind, became a slave, a literal slave, uh, grinding at the millstone for the Philistines. And to go from a strong leader to a blind shaved slave, for Samson, who had achieved so many great victories, for him it wouldn't have been just about um, that he didn't have his quality of life anymore. Because a Nazarite, by the way, their quality of life wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the same anyway. They had abstained from certain things. But imagine as he's grinding, knowing that people are laughing at him, mocking him, 
you once proud. And this is the way all Israel would feel. Samson would have felt it by himself, but everyone that would survive, if they survived at all, they would be in mourning for the iniquity like the doves on the mountains. They would have no place to call home, but more than that, they would have shame and baldness because they would now be the property, the slaves of the Babylonians. We live in a nation that's very proud of its status, would you say? I mean, many people are very, very proud to be proud to be American, proud of the freedoms we have, proud of the uh, things we've accomplished, the wars we've won. Uh, you know, we smoke everyone in the Summer Olympic Games. We do it most of the time in the Winter Olympic Games, too. We, we, uh, we win a lot of things. Uh, we have a lot of money. We have Wall Street. We have NASDAQ. We have Silicon Valley. We have the breadbasket of the world. You know, it goes on and on and on. We have oil reserves. We have most, you know, some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies in the world. All the things. We have Hollywood. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. All the things that we have and people to be uh, proud of and the inventions that have taken place, the airplane, the telephone, you know, it goes. It's so many things that the whole world uses. God has blessed America but the very things he's blessed us with. Very uh, prideful for it. And many people who are the most proud never even fought for the freedoms we have in this country. Isn't that amazing? Some of the people that have never fought for any of the freedoms are some of the most prideful and arrogant of them all. Uh, Only a small percentage of people, we've got some veterans sitting here and some of you that have even been in combat, Uh, but many people that have never... Uh, serve at all, are some of the most prideful, uh, full of pride, full of entitlement, uh, and no interest in hearing from God, no interest in serving the Lord, and just really think that everything here uh, was something of their own making. And Israel would become the same way. Even though Israel benefited from Moses' sacrifice, Joshua's sacrifice, David's sacrifice, the men that went before him, the patriarchs laid down the foundation but the people didn't follow the gods of the patriarchs. And those men, who despite their flaws, were not prideful about themselves, were just thankful that God had used them at all, but the Israelites had become very prideful and they would end up uh, with shame on their faces. Interestingly enough, turn with me, take a left-hand turn over to uh, Jeremiah chapter 40. Actually, hold on, we'll come back to that, don't do it yet. Let's look at one other thing. Let's look at verse 19, then we'll look at, uh, look at Jeremiah chapter 40. So, in addition to weak, petrified, and when they're, if they don't die, if they're not slaughtered, most many of them will be slaughtered by the Babylonians, but the ones that aren't slaughtered will be shaved, will be carted away naked, will be made to walk for miles until their feet would be I mean, just a bloody mess, walking. Uh, it's not like the Babylonians were going to give them, here's a nice change of clothes for you. It's not the way they would be treated. Shaved and shamed would be the way they'd be treated. But then look at verse 19. They'll throw their silver into the streets. Their gold will be like refuse, like trash. Uh, most of you do not throw your wallet full of money into the garbage. None of you do, right? Not, and if, you ha- if you have diamonds and if you have gold jewelry and if you have sterling silver jewelry and if you have things that are keepsakes passed down from the family, it's not, I don't think any one of you are going to throw it in the trash tomorrow. 
You'll throw the tin can, you'll throw the, you know, the napkins and things like that, but it's not refuse. Those things you value. You, take, you put them in a safe, you take good care of them. But they'll have, they'll have no value here. Because at that, in the day of wrath, it will be worthless to them. You know, we have a country that, again, uh, imagine if uh, people from uh, Ezekiel's time you sat them down, you explain to them what a remote is, and say, scroll through these channels here. And they would see the opulence of our nation. Because it's really portrayed through television. There's Wealth TV, there's Food Network. I mean, uh, so what time does Food Network go? Well, it's 24 hours. They're making flan here, and the next minute they're making this, and then the next minute they're making another thing, and just one thing after another, and, uh, and you get hungry just watching it, and you're thinking, if you didn't eat, you're getting hungry now. Uh, but all the things, just opulence, all the things, it's so much to choose from. I was listening to Alistair Begg a little this week, and he was talking about the, the American problem. Is he, goes, he, go, he went to look for a knife, he goes, your country, he goes, well, it's now his country too, but he's like, so much choice. Which model of a thousand do you want? So many things to choose from. They had so much, and, uh, but all of a sudden, it became of no value whatsoever. You know, when your life is about to end, or you know you're about to become a slave, you know you're not going to get to hold on to the silver anyway. And if you're really hungry, try eating a piece of silver. Doesn't help you any. But our own country, the worship of wealth is substantial. I mean, that is who's on the... If you look on the front of the magazines, with the rare instance of an octomom or something like that, who's neither rich... Well, she becomes famous, but most everyone on the cover of all the magazines is wealthy and famous. And then they airbrush them to make them look even better than they actually do, and all the other stuff, and uh, all that's part of the illusion. And it's, it's Satan's the master illusionist anyway. But uh, listen to this quote from Jim Carrey. Um, this is what he had to say. He said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of, so they will know it's not the answer. That's what Jim Carrey said. Comedian, wildly famous, wildly successful, wildly wealthy, multiple homes around the world, anything he wants he can buy, but he says, I wish everyone could have it, and they would know it is not the answer. But no one believes him. This is what most people say. Well, I'd trade places with him for a few minutes. You ever heard? I've heard. If I had a dime for every time someone says, Well, I'd trade places with him, because they don't believe him. They believe, Oh, yeah, I would manage it well, and I wouldn't wouldn't be on uh, stress medicine, and I would be fine, and I would enjoy it, and everything would go great. Bob Marley. You guys know who he is? I went to college in Miami. I liked reggae back in the day, and uh, I still like steel drums, by the way. Uh, but Bob Marley, he was the lead singer and songwriter and the guitarist for the reggae band, Bob Marley and the Wailers. And uh, even today, he remains the most widely known reggae star uh, in the history of the world. And he's credited with spe- spreading uh, the Jamaican music to a worldwide audience. In July of 1977, 
while he was seeking treatment for an injury that he had sustained during a football, that's soccer for you Americans, a football match. Marley was found to have an acral uh, lentiguous melanoma, which is a form of malignant melanoma there in, uh, in his foot, and he declined amputation of his toe. The melanoma eventually spread to his lungs and to his brain. And Bob Marley died at Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Miami on the morning of May 11th, 1981, one day after Mother's Day, our Mother's Day this week is this weekend, he died one day after Mother's Day, 33 years ago, May the 11th, 1981, at the age of 36. In his final words, he spoke to his son Ziggy Marley. Some of you might remember he ended up having a little bit, not his dad's success, but, uh, but he said his final words to his son Ziggy, he said this, last words, money can't buy life. His compilation album, Legend, which came out in 1984, would go on to sell 20 million copies worldwide. He would not even see his greatest success and even the greatest wealth, although he achieved all of those things. But he said to his son, last words, money can't buy life. But yet, no one still believes him. They don't believe Jim Carrey. Now, Jim Carrey and Bob Marley are not pastors. They're not evangelists. They're just guys that are trying to say, look, I have it all, and it still doesn't profit me. God says, you know, you can even learn something from God. They aren't followers of Christ. Bob Marley was a Rastafarian, and Jim Carrey, to my knowledge, has not given his life to the Lord either. I mean, and yet they're both right, aren't they? It's not the answer, and it won't buy any life. You know, our economy... Our nation's economy, Americans uh, that, that also trust in silver and gold. They don't trust necessarily in silver and gold physically. They trust in our financial system, that it's always going to be the greatest in the world. And by the way, people are starting to have their doubts about that. There's a lot of polling being done, and there's a lot of nervous Americans. If you can get beneath the surface of getting past the, the kind of the normal things that people have small talk, you'll find that people are starting to wonder, could we also, could we also implode financially like countries have in the past, like Germany did in the past, and we certainly could. We don't even necessarily need a, a hot physical war for any of these things to take place. Do you feel like your grocery bill has gone up lately? It has, 19% since January 1. 19% since January 1. If it feels like, man, I feel like I'm spending more when I go to Martin's or Food Lion, or you are, 19%. They're blaming it on the winter freeze, but we've had lots of winter freezes in the past, and I've not heard that every other year, but nevertheless, not, you might would think if a winter freeze, maybe 3%, 4%, but 19%? Was everything frozen? <laughs> Did the trucks not work? We have more debt, the United States has more debt than the entire Eurozone and the United Kingdom combined. And much more, actually, by a few trillion. I know trillion doesn't mean that much in Washington anymore. They act like it's a rounding error or something. But it means a lot. Nations are moving away from the dollar as the world's reserve currency. 
Secret meetings taking place. Absolutely, it's fact. United States is finding out about some of them after the fact. China recently has uh, China's expanded their gold reserves by 76%. China purchased enough physical gold last year alone to equal all the gold mined in the world last year. China's on a buying spree of gold. There, a currency change is coming. It's underway. The countries are working on it. Remember that Babylon, they didn't just come to Israel overnight. They had spied out Israel's gold years before when Hezekiah, in a not-so-brilliant move, decided to show them the gold hoard. They had been planning and staging. Things don't happen immediately. That's why, again, it's still four to five years away for Jerusalem. They don't believe Jeremiah. They don't believe Ezekiel. It will not happen. It cannot happen. Hey, we're Jerusalem. We got it all. And we'll pay Egypt to help us. Of course, that didn't work either. In March, the Bank of England, this March, just a couple months ago, in March, the Bank of England and the People's Bank of China agreed to settle... um, all of the, uh, their trading in yuan, in, in the Chinese yen, as opposed to, or the yuan, uh, as opposed to dollars. That's pretty big. That had been done in dollars for quite some time. Personal debt in America, any number of natural disasters, any number of natural disasters, another 9-11 or worse, any of those things, could take our fragile, eggshell, thin ice <laughs> economic system down, rolling downhill rather quickly. Now, I don't say that to scare everyone, because we're, we're the body of Christ. We don't have to be afraid of anything. We're in the hands of the Lord. We don't. But put yourself in Judah's place. Put yourself back in ancient Judah's place. They throw their silver, they will eventually throw their silver and their gold in the street like it's, like it's refuse. They'll actually, they'll actually have a disdain for it and just want to toss it because they'll be a bit angry at it and they're really angry at who? Themselves because they realize why did I fool myself into thinking that this instead of the Lord could really be my provider. Folks, we as a body of Christ, we have to come to the place that we believe God is our provider, not your employer. I know we have to work for a living, and you need to be the best possible employee you are, and you should be a great Daniel or Joseph in your workplace, but you must believe in your heart that God is your provider. If you believe everything else is your provider, uh, it, it can be a snare to just kind of take you Take your eyes off the Lord and you start to trust in all the wrong things. It can happen easily to us, even those of us who are saved. But put yourself in Judah's place. Even if you have a ton of money, what's it worth if there's no food to buy? You're locked inside your own city. Babylon's, the army have surrounded the city. What are you going to buy? There's nothing left to buy. I'll give you all my gold. And the guy says, I'll give you my gold. Let's just trade gold. That doesn't help. There's no one able to buy your beautiful home. Your sewer system's not working now anyway, so it doesn't smell beautiful anymore. 
They've blocked up all that around the city. You have that beautiful Judean car, but no gas to put in it. They didn't have cars, but you know what I mean. The chariot, the horses, all those things. And why? It's all because, look at verse 19, the end of it, because it became their stumbling block of iniquity. God says all the things you had, your stuff, became your stumbling block. Boy, that sounds familiar. All your stuff became your stumbling block. I tried to call your name, but you were out bass fishing. I tried to call you, but you were on vacation for the umpteenth time. I tried to call you, but you were on the golf course. I tried to call you, but you were watching American Idol. I tried to call you, but you were doing all these other things, and you never had time for me. Well, Judah had a different, they had different gods, but we have our own, don't we? Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Isn't that a great promise? You don't have to be, I, I'm not petrified of the things that are coming. Matter of fact, I believe if some things happen, I'm not predicting anything. I, I, I hope that if the Lord should tarry, we actually see revival. I could see all three of my daughters married in, in normal settings and everything else. But I also know that that may not be the case. It may not be the case. And if it's not the case, those of us know the Lord, he's going to use us in some great and mighty, it says in Daniel, it says the wise, they'll do great exploits. We'll actually see people say, we'll do uh, the works of the Lord, whether it is in a time of great difficulty or whether it's in a time of great blessing. That's up to the Lord, but I'm only saying that we're following the same pattern. That is fact. And unless we have a revival, we would actually go uh, down the same path. Turn with me just to see how they uh, treated our good friend Jeremiah, but how the Lord took care of him. This is where a great encouragement to you and I. Turn to your left to Jeremiah chapter 40. Um, again, it would be, Satan would try and scare you to the place of saying, don't give to God because your food prices just went up 19%. No, no, no. Don't think that way. You keep giving to the Lord. You keep spreading the gospel and let God take care of his own, because he will. He will. He'll take good care of us. He did it with the children of Israel in the land of Goshen. He can do it with us as well. Uh, look what Jeremiah had to, you know, um, he wasn't treated real well. But he, when Babylon comes in, God, instead of, the roles are reversed. They had Jeremiah and chains, but when disaster came, Jeremiah was set free, and Nebuchadnezzar gives him money and a gift and lets him do whatever he wants. Isn't that amazing? Now, they don't see this coming because they had Jeremiah in the uh, dunce cap and chains. Look at, uh, look at chapter 39. Actually, I, we'll look at 40, but look at 39 first. Um, Look at uh, verse 13 in chapter 39. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, sent to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Rabsaris, Nergel, forget it, we'll just go through, and over to the king of the chief officers. I can say these, but we don't have time. Uh, <laughs> verse 14, and then sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison. Now, the whole place is literally going to hell in a handbasket. Jeremiah is the only one that told them what everything happened. What do they do? They throw him in jail. So everything's going up in flames. 
everyone else is being slaughtered, run through by spears and sword, beheaded and shaved and uh, put in shackles, and Jeremiah is safe in a prison. And says that he should. T- uh, and says they committed him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaph- uh, Shaphan, that they should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. And then look in chapter forty, starting in verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, let him go from Ramah when he had uh, taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem. Uh, and Judah, who were carried away captive. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, the Lord your God has pronounced doom on this place. Remember, Jeremiah had pronounced doom forever. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because your people uh, sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. And now look, I free you this day from the chains that were uh, on your hand. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, this is one of the leaders of the entire armed forces. If you want to come to Babylon with us and live life in the the good life with the rest of us, Babylonian um, leadership, good. But if it seems wrong for you to come to Babylon, remain here. See, all the land is before you. You're in charge. Not really, but he's just saying, wherever you want to live. Remain here. See all the land for you, wherever you, what seems good and convenient to you to go. Now, while uh, Jeremiah had not yet come back, and it goes on to say uh, at the bottom of verse 5, uh, so the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. It's an encouragement to us. You can go back to uh, Ezekiel chapter 7. Jeremiah stayed faithful to the Lord. He proclaimed the truth. The question is, will you and I stay faithful, Lord, in your office place, where you're working, when people think, you nonsensical Calvary Chapel Christians, you believe this, you believe that, and lovingly, not, not with some kind of arrogance, say, uh, you're going to hell, all of you are going to collapse in a financial meltdown or whatever. I don't say that to people. If they want to come and listen to a Bible study, we'll go with what the Bible says, and I'll walk them through, but I just say, I understand where you're coming from. And if I were in your shoes, I probably would think the same thing. And I used to think. But if you want to sit down and look at the Word together, we can do that. But not get into an argument, but just be a light and a witness. And then, trust me, it's happening right now in Ukraine. Our Ukrainian brothers and sisters are having people come out of the woodwork saying, please tell us what's going on. And only six months ago, those same people were like, I don't want to go to your church. I don't want to hear you about your Jesus. I don't have time. I got too many important things. Everything's going great. And now all of a sudden, they're listening. But God will take care of us. And he took care of Jeremiah. And he's taking care of Ezekiel as well. That was distraught. Look under defiled here, which starts to take place in verse 20. Uh, my watch battery went dead. Can someone give me a time check? What time does somebody have that's accurate? What you got, Randy? Anyone? Okay, so we'll probably, we might have to defer some of this. But let's look at, uh, let's look at um, at least a couple of these in verse 20. Uh, As for the beauty of his ornaments, he set it in majesty. But they made from it images of their abomination, their detestable things. Therefore, I've made it like refuse to them. And it goes on in verse 21, it says that uh, they have... Um, 
ultimately, they'll even come in, in verse 21 to 22, they'll even come into the temple, into the holy of holies. God says, my most secret place here, my secret place. And they'll defile the whole temple. Uh, remember that uncircumcised non-Levites were not allowed anywhere near the holy place, much less the holy holies, which was only for the high priest on the day of atonement. But they'll come in there, and God doesn't strike them dead because, remember, Babylon is the sword in God's very hand. Uh, now, they'll pay for their... Def- <laughs> the thing about God is God actually pays both sides. The side that actually is used for judgment gets payday too. Babylon will get theirs as well. Uh, but before that happens... Uh, They'll defile the temple, they'll defile the land, and the reality is everything had been defiled well before Babylon because the people of Israel and Judah had defiled it. Three things that get defiled here that we can see, uh, one that is is of course, or two that are already present tense, actually all three, Uh, the people, the temple, and the land, all three. The people were already defiled. Proverbs 26, 11 says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Now, Israel had been told time and time again, Judah had been told so many times by the prophets to repent, but they would not. They would double down on their idolatry. They would continue in it. In the book of Jeremiah, which we just looked at, chapter 40, in the 19th chapter, uh, 13th verse, it says this, In the house of Jerusalem... And the house of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet because of all the houses on whose roofs they have burned incense to all the host of heaven. They're worshiping the stars, worshiping the constellations, worshiping the uh, different gods that were, uh, that were part of astrology uh, and poured out drink offerings to other gods. So they had already defiled themselves with idolatry. Anytime that people commit idolatry in God's economy, it's also synonymous with adultery because it is breaking the marital vows. You and I are married unto Christ, right? So if we stop living in the Holy Spirit and return to the flesh, it's like a dog returning it to its own vomit. And we have divorced ourselves from our marriage relationship with Christ. Israel had a relationship, a marriage relationship with the Lord. They defiled themselves with idols, and therefore, as far as God was concerned, they had played the harlot. And he uses that terminology throughout the Old Testament, that they had played the harlot, they had defiled themselves. Um, They had taken... The beauty of creation. Now Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1 as well. That people will, they will end up worshiping creeping things and they worship the heavens. And they did. They worshiped all kinds of things that were created beings. And they would make charms. And some of you that are from uh, here that are from other countries, you're probably familiar with seeing all the little charms of different idols and different gods. And, uh, you know, India, what has over a million alone. And, but this was common with, uh, in the ancient days of Israel. The nations around them worshipped all kinds of things. They'd worship elephants. They'd worship star. You name it. And Israel joined in and worshipped all those things. And they were defiled. Instead of the God who created those things, They worshiped things that were just as unable to help them as they were able to help themselves. Their God had parted the Red Sea, and instead they would worship something in the sea. Amazing, huh? And you and I, 
it's amazing that we see the same thing happen over and over again. You're like, people will be unbelievably amazed. Did you see the newest piece of technology? And you're like, have you seen the Lord Jesus Christ? They're like, why is that big deal? He's been around a long time, and that's old news. This is the newest iPhone. But that will be old news next year. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, to worship little ornaments instead of the God who actually speaks constellations into place. Um, big, big difference there. Uh, let's look at one other, and then we'll, we'll come to it. We'll actually just stop, and I'll pick up where we left off here. We'll have a part three, which I wasn't intending, but i got to let you go tonight. They also will defile, as I mentioned, into the, uh, into the holy place, into the temple. And uh, what a sad thing. This didn't take place overnight either. The temple had already been defiled. Uh, they had already, and you're going to see when we get further in, uh, that uh, they worshipped a... Um, they worship, the women worship someone by the name of Tammuz, uh, who is the uh, son of Nimrod, if you go all the way back. And this is an ancient, um, an ancient uh, form of idolatry. And, and, uh, and really a lot of the roots of um, things like Ishtar and everything else, they come out of some of the same going all the way back to Nimrod uh, and his wife. But Solomon had married a lot of women. Remember? You've got to go all the way back to Solomon. And they came with a lot of false gods, and they turned his heart, and he began to kind of become lax in what he would allow. And when one leader becomes lax, eventually leaders after them become more than just lax. They become out-and-out diabolical, or they become out-and-out tyrannical, or they become out-and-out idolatrous, and all of those things would take place, culminating with a guy like Manassas, who actually... Uh, had child sacrifice, and you had all kinds of idolatry entering into the temple place long before the Babylonians would actually come and hack it into pieces. But they still, um, you know, it's interesting that people that are religious but not saved. How many of you know someone that's religious but not saved? You work with someone, uh, they go to mass, they go to this, they go to temple, they, uh, maybe it's Judaism, maybe it's Catholicism, maybe it's some form of uh, you know, Eastern religion or mysticism or whatever. Uh, they, they're religious, but they don't know the Lord, and they, they treasure certain vestiges of religion, which in and of themselves have no value. The temple, for example, it, God even says, can anyone make me a building made with hands. I mean, God says, man can't make me a building, and yet God chooses uh, the temple to be built there. But it's more as a picture than it is. It's not really God's house. Every place it belongs to God. And yet the children of Israel and the children uh, in there in Judah, they still had great awe for the building structure. And the same was in Jesus' time. Remember how the guys almost flipped out when Jesus said, I'll destroy this temple in three days? Ah, oh, everyone, you know, that was, a, that was enough. Crucify him immediately. That was Caiaphas' response. He must be crucified on the spot. Beca kill him. He needs to die. Because the building they loved, the God who ordained the building, they did not love. 
And this is the way it was for the children of Judah. They loved the building. It was gorgeous. It was one of the ancient ones of the world. It had gold. It had ivory. It was magnificent. They loved the building. A lot of people like certain aspects of religion. They just don't want God. They just don't want Jesus. Now, Jesus, of course, is not on the scene here yet. The, the earthly ministry will come later. But the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the ancient deliverer of Israel, that they did not have a love for, but they loved the building. And when God's, but still, God had given rules and requirements for the building, and they ignored them and allowed idolatry to come in and defile the place. And ultimately, God says, because you allowed the temple to be defiled spiritually, I'm going to let your enemies defile it physically. In other words, they're going to come all the way in and they're going to carry away the gold. They're going to take the brazen altar. They're going to take all the pieces that Solomon put in and it was gorgeous and tear it, a piece, tear it apart and carry it away as plunder to Babylon. It says in 2 Chronicles 36, 14, Moreover, all the leaders of the priest and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. God doesn't forget what we did in America in 1975. He doesn't forget what we did in 1981. He doesn't forget what we did in 1997. This took place a while back, but no one had repented of it. We've had, I just heard, uh, we've had 30-some years now of the National Day of Prayer. Is America closer to God now? No. As a nation, we're further away. We have more states just, uh, coming against marriage. We have half the people attending church that were in the early 90s. We have uh, more people uh, saying that they don't believe in God at all. We have a rise in atheism. We have a rise in every other kind of religion. Uh, more people saying, I don't even need to get married at all. I'll just stay single. I'll just have partners and relationship. I mean, everything you can think of. And it says in Second Chronicles, as I mentioned, the priests and the people transgressed more and more. And the debt, just like the financial debt builds up, the debt load of sin builds up. And finally God says, somebody's going to pay the bill. If you're taking notes, it's according to, God says, according to your ways. It's not that God didn't give chances. He gave many, many, many chances, but the people uh, refused. We'll pick it up with verse, um, verse 23 uh, and the violence in the land. We'll, we'll want to look at that. Because um, God goes point by point here through the things that really are, in essence, the guilty verdict for the land and the people. So we'll pick it up in verse 23. We'll just stop right there. 